Thank you. Um, I also don't have any slides. This always causes too much faff. <laughs> so I'm also very aware that I am kind of the stopgap between you and wine and getting out of this very warm room. So I, <laughs> I will try and not be really boring. Um, I think what you have heard so far is a really wonderful introduction to what I'm going to try and talk about um, because I sit in a number of different intersections in that I'm both an employee of the university and a student at the university in a different part of the university and I also um, am working in academia and I am actually making policy so also employed by the government. Um, today because of PERDA I have to very much be talking from the Oxford perspective <laughs> um, but if you have questions about specific things I can talk about them afterwards. But really what I try and do, and I think Sandra phrased it really, really well, is look at what is legally required, which in the context of medicine um, and data use tends to be consent and anonymization, then what is ethically desirable and what is technically feasible. And then we try and develop what we refer to as a principle proportionate approach that tries to move the what of AI ethics into the how of AI ethics. Um, and to really operationalize it. So we look at a number of different things. First of all, like how can AI actually help? I think this is something that often gets missed in ethical conversations. People always talk about the risks, but actually a very big risk, particularly from the perspective of the NHS that has a duty to capitalize on all of the ways that you can enable healthcare is the opportunity costs of not letting it happen. Um, so we try and look at where does it help, which tends to be largely in categories such as diagnostics, screening and triage. That's where most research currently focuses primarily because of that's where the data is more easily accessible and it's where it's standardized. Um, population health. Um, so this is time basically better versions and less bad versions of Google flu. Um, discovery, such as drug discovery and what's sometimes referred to as P4 medicine or precision medicine. And those are the kind of areas that we look at in terms of where we think it might help. And then the question is, how can it actually hurt? And you've already heard many of the reasons um, why. And one of the things that I co-authored is one of those many ethical principles that Brent had up on the, on the slide, which is the Department of Health and Social Care's um, AI code of conduct for the NHS, or it's called the NHS code of conduct for data-driven health and care technologies, which just really rolls off your tongue. Um, <laughs> the reason it is called that is because most of the applications that we see currently in use within the NHS or within the healthcare sector at large, is at least at the front line, do not fall into the category of being AI yet. Um, they tend to be far, far simpler um, basic statistics so we try to encompass it with data-driven health and care tech but the things that we try and look at is that that code of conduct and almost everything that we've heard about so far tends to focus on just the individual and protecting just the individual um, which stems from this connection with medical ethics being around protecting of the person um, and as we have seen autonomy beneficence non-maleficence justice and explicability and whilst that's really really important when you're Operating and thinking of the perspective from a systems perspective, you also need to think about how ethics, how ethical risks can arise at a number of other different levels, in the interpersonal level. So how might it change the relationship between clinicians and patients, for example, and also between the patient and themselves? This is a very interesting dichotomy that you have in the healthcare sector with AI, is that you are dealing with simultaneously a very physical being and an entirely digital sphere. And sometimes those two things do not actually match. 
and that can cause um, some ethical concerns that we need to be aware of. The other, the other impacts that you can see is group level impacts, sectoral level impacts, and societal level impacts. Um, so a group and societal level impacts might be where, for example, that we have problems with the fact that if the NHS is grounded on this principle that it is care for all, are we ex ex like making that less true by focusing on, on the introduction of AI? when AI should be used in a way that makes it more true, but we could in fact introduce in new and evolving inequalities and exacerbate those that are already existing. Um, and then as the other thing at sectoral level, and this is particularly important again when you're taking a systems perspective, is the issue with trust. Um, how might you lose trust in the provision of healthcare from the state because you have made mistakes too early on? And so those are all of the sort of levels that you might think about. And then the other area that we need to try and look at is where you might have different ethical issues arising at different levels of the machine learning pipeline. Um, so one of the things quite often say is if you have written ethics in to the business case, but coded it out by the time it has got to deployment. Um, a really clear example that we're currently tackling with is a couple of things is one is because the question of liability is a little bit unsure, it tends to be interpreted that it will land on the, on the final clinician who's made the decision. But all of tools that are deployed at the front line or deployed in the app store, so things like Skinlytics, for example, which is an app that can take a photo of a mole and it will tell you your level of risk, are skewed towards false positives because it's less risk to the company to say that you have a diagnosis when you don't than to do a false negative. Um, the issue that this is having is that whilst these technologies are supposed to be deployed in order to, to enable people to take care of themselves, um, in fact, it is actually doing the opposite and driving people towards frontline care um, because people get these very high level ratings of risk. Similarly, we have an issue with um, like breast cancer screening algorithms, for example, that have drastically increased the capacity to recognize the potential of a pathology being there, because you can, a machine can read many scans at once, but a doctor can still only treat one person at once. So you effectively created a bottleneck, um, which is an ethical concern from the perspective of that you then may have the person who is living with the potentially anxiety-inducing diagnosis, and that has very big implications for their medical integrity and their sort of mental integrity, but be waiting much longer for treatment. Um, so those are the kinds of areas that we try and look at and try and then develop standards and policies that build on the regulatory framework. There is work going on to assess the regulation and there are various things like create regulatory sandboxes in order to test ideas. Um, that takes much longer than it takes to develop standards and policies and the implementation of them. Um, so one of the things, for example, that we have looked at is the code of conduct. First of all, is an abstraction of an abstraction. Um, it's based on the ethical principles, but it is far more trying to operationalize them. So instead of saying things like autonomy, it says things in there like design for your specific user, state how the technology will impact them and how it will help and how it is better than what is already in place. And there's a number of operational things that we have done to make that a little bit more realistic because of the complexities that you're dealing with in medicine, such as safety and efficacy. So for example, one of the things that we developed 
was the standards for evidence of efficacy in digital health technologies and similarly what is socially acceptable commercial models for health data use and then to build a platform that shows how people can actually go in put provide their evidence to the NHS of how you are meeting those principles what evidence have you provided and allow people to actually review um, so it's all available in a big report that NHSX published a couple of weeks ago, if anyone wants to look at it. Um, so really, that's what we're trying to do. Look at what are the issues to do with the fact that data is now circulating outside of the system. Um, to, in many places, you now have uh, private companies that may know more about your health than the healthcare system. And that, how is that breaking down traditional barriers that have been in good place, as we heard earlier, for things like the difference between medical research and medical practice. When you're working in a cybernetic loop with data space, that starts to break down. Um, look at the risks that are approached at different levels of society, different stages in the machine learning pipeline, and how we actually operationalize those so that instead of just saying, isn't it nice that everyone is going to be fair, how are we actually knowing that? Thank you.